Um, my name's Annabelle and I'm in Lower Sixth in the Cumbermere. Um, hi, I'm Seb and I'm also in Lower Sixth in, in the Picton. I'm Jenny, I'm Head of Student Emotional Health and Wellbeing. And I'm Mr Walker and I am the Deputy Head Pastoral here at Wellington College. Um, today we're going to be having a discussion about the primary factors which negatively impact students' mental health. Well, um, where should we start then, folks? I suppose we should probably start with you two, because um, we're, uh, Jenny and I are far too old to understand what those might be. So um, who wants to kick us off? What sort of things do you think um, there are around the place that negatively affect student mental health? Well, I think, um, obviously, because it's the second half of the summer term, I think m- many of us in lower six in all the years have gone through summer exams, some in fifth form and upper six have gone through public exams. And I think it's fair to say, I think everyone would agree that exams are definitely a key cause of stress in our lives, especially around this time. I think... Do you- so, sorry, I was just going to yeah. say, is it just exams itself or is it... The, do you think lessons that lead up to them become more of a sort of stressful time? Is it, is it the physically sitting of those exams? Can you talk a bit more about that? Um, I think both in a sense. So with for me, I found going into exams, it was very stressful because it wasn't just my focus. It wasn't just on exams. I had other coursework to do. So it's just dealing with all those pressures together. But I do think there's an element of exams themselves that can cause stress. I used to get really bad sort of insomnia before exams and just building up. And over time, that's got a bit better. But I do definitely think the exams themselves and just the whole atmosphere around them and having to, especially if you haven't done enough revision, just trying to cram it in can be quite stressful. Yeah. Annabelle, what do you think? I think especially something that I found in fifth form leading up to GCSEs was the kind of talk around them. And as you said, the lessons based, oh, this is your GCSE, it's in this long, it's it's about this, all of this. I think that sort of made them a massive, big, scary thing, um, which they are, they're big and they are scary. But then for me, once I had done the first few and I'd got the first few weeks of exams out the way, they became a lot more straightforward and I could realise, oh, it's not going to be some massive event that's going to change my life it is just going to be an exam paper on my desk and I'm going to give it my best shot and I think sort of once you kind of get into the flow of them and and the prospect of them sort of becomes more achievable um for me that really helped sort of alleviate some of that stress yeah I mean so far so familiar how was it for you Jenny in the mid 90s uh (laughs) doing exams I can say that because we do exams at about the same time. Uh, If I can remember. Um, Yeah, I mean, exams are stressful, aren't they? They're always stressful. And what I can remember is there's almost a contagion, so it feels quite contagious, the stress that everyone Mm. feels, and you can just sense in the atmosphere. But I do have a sense that we possibly put more pressure on young people these days than was on us when we were younger about exams and the importance of results and all that kind of thing. So I guess I, I just wonder whether there's anything you think that society or Wellington could do to try and ease some of that pressure for young people. I think um, sort of, as you said, like it's getting a lot more pressure and I think that's a lot to do with sort of the increasing competitiveness, like the number of um, applicants for uni, like we're just going through our uni application process now. The places aren't increasing, but the number of people for those places is increasing. So the exams just, there is just more weight on them. But I think sort of just understanding that they aren't the be all and end all and that there are options and that as long as you've done your best, that's that's all you can give. And it's, it's I think it's important to put these things into perspective often because when you're sat in your lesson and your teacher telling you, oh, you've got to revise this really hard, it's not worth sacrificing 
aspects of your mental health or your friendships or your relationships with people around you. And I think just sometimes people can get very tunnel vision. And because, as you said, the stress is sort of contagious, it's always surrounding you, trying to just maybe break out of that vision and just being like, you know what, it's okay. You're going to give it your best shot, but they're not, they don't determine the rest of your life at the end of the day. That, that could be quite a helpful sort of mentality. I think it's also important to realise that I think if putting this perspective of potentially a teacher, when they're sort of bigging up these exams and just saying, I think some of that is just to get you to work harder in a sense. Yeah. And cause with exams, there's always going to be stress. And sometimes a little, little bit of stress can be actually be quite good because it forces you to, if you haven't done enough work, to actually put your head down and do some work. And I think it's just about getting that balance because if that stress then becomes a bit too much, that's when sort of problems can start to arise. So a little bit of stress when in the wake of exams is normal and fine, but I find that sometimes that can go a bit further. So it's, just, it's, very, it's a hard balance to get, but I think there is an optimum around that. Mm. That's spot on, isn't it? Because all through life there will be elements, yeah. you know, you go for a job interview and that will be a stressful process. And it is, and it, and it is for everyone. And it probably should be because that helps you perform at the right level, doesn't it? But I mean, on how helpful do you think to hear some more stories from parents or teachers about, you know, times when exams have gone bad? I can think back to my final year quantum <laughs> physics exam, which went terribly. Um, and yet, actually, in the end, it was all okay, you know, but I remember walking out of that paper thinking that was an absolute disaster. Um, and, um, you yeah, know, in, in shock. But, um, you know, thinking those sorts of stories to say, to help you put those stresses and things into perspective a little bit more. Yeah, I think, as, as you said, it's kind of about finding the right balance because you don't want people to think, oh, they don't mean anything, which very few people do. I think, especially at Wellington, very few people have the mindset of, oh, they don't matter. But I think it would as you said, like to hear sort of personal like anecdotes or stories could actually put a lot of people's minds at ease. Because um, I think sometimes when a teacher's sort of telling the class, oh, these exams are really important, you need to work hard. The people who are already doing that, it stresses them out more. And the people who aren't doing that aren't necessarily then going to start working hard because the teacher's saying that. But I think if it's sort of taken from the approach I worked really hard for this exam, it went badly, but I'm still okay. Or even the opposite, I didn't work at all. It went really bad and I had to resit and I spent my whole summer revising. So don't do that kind of thing. Um, just, yeah, getting more personal experiences of it could kind of like contextualise it mm. rather than it just being a teacher saying revise kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've, I've often thought with Wellington, uh, having been here since the early 2000s, when probably that message of you need to do a bit more hard work was probably more pertinent to more people and and now it feels as if there's a lot of very highly motivated students mm -hmm. here who probably making sure we get the balance right there yeah. is quite important isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I know i've just uh, one example of this going really well is one of our teachers did an assembly and she in fifth form she clearly recognized she said like the advice I'm going to give you is if you're not working hard enough, then that you may need to start listening to this and work a bit harder because these exams do matter. But for those people that are working at a higher level that yes, work hard, but don't stress too much. So I think, because obviously every pupil at Wellington is totally different. They've got totally different work ethics, totally different what they want to achieve. So it's when teachers sort of treat everyone the same and give sort of that same advice to everyone instead of recognising that, that that's when that there can be issues yeah. there, I think. 
I kind of had a similar experience with my um, housemistress. So it was just before Easter of fifth form. And she kind of said to me, you've done well. You've got what you want to in your mocks. Just chill out for a bit and just take a couple of days off at the start of Easter and just breathe. And if I, I genuinely think if she hadn't just told me that straight up and just said, you're fine, like you'll be fine. I don't think I would have given myself that time off. And I think in the long run, it actually made me do better in my exams. So I think, again, as you said, sort of individualizing that experiences of people and giving them individual tips and advice can be really, really helpful. Mm. And that's, that's really good, isn't it? But really hard, I think. But I really yeah. like that, that um, example of the teacher that managed in a group situation to somehow individualise it and make sure that the right people were getting that message and it wasn't going to the wrong people who it was likely to cause more stressful. Yeah. And what, what about parents? How can parents help help you tolerate the stress around exams? I think something that I found is, um, so my dad works the whole day and then he'd sometimes come home in the evening and it would be when I just finished working and he would sort of make a joke like, oh, you've not done any work all day. And it's just, he's very lighthearted and it doesn't mean anything, but sometimes there's just points where I was a bit like, oh my gosh, really? Like I've just got off from my desk. I've just convinced myself it's fine. I don't need to do any more work and not felt guilty. And then just hearing even a jokey comment like that, when he knows I've been working, things like that can be a bit like if I'm not in the mood for it, just a bit like, oh my gosh, really? Like I just convinced myself because I know a lot of people in the lead up to exams felt a lot of guilt and it's quite, it's quite hard to switch off at all because you're constantly thinking, oh, I could be revising right now. So I think just being aware that also a lot of our work happens at school. So if we want to come home on the weekend and just chill out, then like that can necessarily be respected um, by people's families. Um, so that that's something that I like my family did really well for me is they understood that when I went home on the weekends, I just wanted to just chillax and that it's because I worked so hard the week at school. But I know for some people that that communication doesn't happen as much. So I think trying to communicate just with them, just tell them either you've done, a, you've had a really productive week and so you just want to chill on the weekend or you haven't had a really productive week, but you know you just need a reset. And just being able to communicate with that and hoping that they then can see and parents hoping to, that you guys can understand that there are points where we just need a reset or we just need to chill. And then that can be really helpful. And I think with parents, obviously, again, everyone's different. And I think parents obviously know their kids more than anyone else. Yeah. And so when it comes to exams, they're probably in the best situation. And what they what you, they need to do is need to work out what's the best way of motivating my child. Is it by telling them to work really hard, like putting loads of pressure on them? And does that work? Because obviously you've been with them their entire life. Or is it better to instead say oh yeah you've worked really well today and take a much more positive approach and I think different things work for different people so I think it's working that out on a case-to-case -case basis. And having a conversation I guess to to know what that is because people change as well don't they yeah so what might have worked as a 13 year old might not work as a 16 or an 18 year old so actually talking quite openly I think can help I mean I remember having those conversations with my parents where I was like, Do you know what, you missed the mark there. You know, actually it was okay, it was done done as a joke or whatever, but that wasn't what I needed just just right now. Um, so having a conversation quite openly about how to help. Um, as you say, most, most people at this school are pretty motivated, so I think they'll want to help parents help them get the most out of it. So, should we move on? I mean, we've talked a lot about exams and, and academic work. Is there anything else that you can think of that we might sort of talk about? I think general social pressures of just being a teenager and a student, they're always going to be there. And 
being a teenager is hard. Being a teenager is just hard and it is just, it's very, it is just very different to how it was um, a couple of years ago. Well, a couple of decades ago, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, but, we're back to the, the mid 90s, aren't we, Jenny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think just when parents recognise that, it's so much, I see so much more successful parent-child relationships of just understanding that it is just different and we're not glued to our phones, we're not hiding behind a screen, we're talking to our friends or we're looking things up or we're watching stupid TikToks because we just want to have a chill out. Um, and I think trying to understand, and if you don't understand, that's fine, like you haven't lived through it. We're not expecting you to just suddenly be like, oh yeah, I get it. But communicate, have a conversation, being like, oh, what are you doing on, when you're on your phone? What are you doing when you just want to sit in your room? Why do you want to do that? For me, it's like, I just like, when I come home on the weekends, especially, it's so social here. And you're constantly so busy that I just really like, I love spending time with my family on the weekends. And I think that I, I enjoy having the balance of spending time with my family, but then also just going to my room and just chilling out, watching a bit of Netflix. And at first my family didn't really understand that. And they sort of thought like, oh, why, why don't you want to talk to us? And it's not that, it's just that I've been surrounded by people the whole time, especially because I bored, that it's just quite nice to have that time to decompress at home. Yeah, I think I definitely get that with my family. I, my parents often think that what I'm like on the weekend is what I'm like every day of the week. Whereas, <laughs> as, as you just said, Wellington life is sort of so busy and because you're boarding, you need to basically just present your best self the whole time. So sometimes when I go home on the weekend, I might let my emotions out more, be sometimes a bit rude and miserable. <laughs> but parent, but my, my, hopefully my parents have now realised that I'm not like that the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. A teenager being rude and miserable, <laughs> really? I just find that very hard to believe. Um, but so. it is it, it is so hard being a teenager, isn't it? I mean, I, I can remember back in the mid-90s um, <laughs> that it just, yeah, all the stuff going around in your head and the social pressures and all that stuff. And I can't even begin to imagine actually what that's like with mm. social media and everything else introduced that just adds a whole new dimension um, but I really like those ideas about just speaking about it and, and helping as older generation being able to understand a little bit what's that, what that is like. And I guess we can appreciate it to a certain extent because we also now have social media, which yeah. has changed, I guess, how we interact and things. But yeah, the, the, the being a teenager, I think, is really tough. It was, yeah. it was very different, wasn't it, going to school in, in, in our generation. I guess we are your parents' generation, we're the same. Um, we went to school together, Jenny and I. It's a little-known fact that we went to the same school um, at nearly the same time, didn't we? Yes, a couple um, of years apart. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, think, thinking back, and I was back at that school a, a, a few weeks ago, so it sort of brought me straight back to being that sort of teenager wandering around and thinking, yeah, well, this is a... You know, we spend a lot of time hanging out sort of on, um, effectively on street corners in that school. I mean, uh, you know, just um, chatting around, uh, you know, with people. And, and But the, the added complexity, I think, of, of what life looks like now just makes that all the more difficult. I thought it was a really interesting comment you just made there, Seb. You know, you're saying you, you need to put your best sort of, face forward as it were all the time in a in a boarding environment but you've also got the the added fact that you you're then also being interrogated as to what you're like on social media um do you have any time and you just sort of think you can be in your sort of 
yeah, metaphorical, you know, downtime. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you get that sense at all? I, I think kind of, but in a way, because of social media and you're constantly on Instagram, knowing exactly what everyone's doing every minute of the day, like Snapchat and stuff, that even though you might get to the holidays and you've got a week and you really need that time just to rest and um, yeah, just get yourself back together after a very busy term, you can sometimes get, get that social anxiety and get that guilt that comes through, which really that you're missing out on other things when really at that time you just need to be chilling and resting and you deserve that to just have some time with yourself instead of just feeling like, like you should be doing something else with someone, potentially. Yeah. I think it's very dependent on the person as well. Like, it's quite... As, as Seb, Seb kind of said, it is, it is hard because um, pe- obviously people do things with different people all the time and most of the time that doesn't bother anyone. But I think when it's... As Seb said, you can just see it. You just see it on social media, on and on Snapchat, on Instagram, on TikToks, and no one's doing it to necessarily be like, "Oh, I'm here, you're not," kind of thing. They're just they're just posting what they're doing. But when you're not doing that, or you're not doing it with them, that can it can be quite draining. If you're constantly, as Seb said, you just want to go home, you want to chill, and that's that is what you need to then be seeing people doing things and enjoying being a teenager. You then think, "Oh, I should be doing that," kind of thing, and it's quite. Yeah, it can be quite draining just constantly being, feeling like you have to be on. Is there, is there any sort of discussion with, with you and your friends about, you know, going on a sort of social media fasting or sort of just saying, look, do you know what, actually, this will be really good for all of us if none of us post it for a week or something like that. Is that ever discussed as an idea between you? <laughs> not particularly. Yeah, I think very popular. Yeah. Sometimes you get the occasional person that attempts to delete TikTok yeah. exams. It doesn't last. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, no, but I think especially something like Snapchat, um, it's a really nice way to stay in touch. Mm. Like it seems very stupid the idea of sending pictures back and forth. But I mean, personally, I just don't send selfies constantly to my friends. But I do. I do send them videos of what I'm doing. I send them a little vlog of the food I'm making or just small things like that when you're at home in the holidays because obviously we're with each other the whole time at school. We're used to constantly sharing little bits of our day and I think suddenly when that stops, it's really nice to be able to use something like Snapchat to just keep in touch and I think that's mainly how people in our year group, I would say, use Snapchat is just simply to keep in touch with people and just to keep that line of communication open. But with things like Instagram and TikTok, yeah, as Seb said, the cleansers don't seem to go too well. <laughs> but I think that kind of comes in from the sort of FOMO aspect of it is you don't want to, people to be posting and you not to be able to see or just personally, I quite like to just sit on TikTok for a bit when I want to relax. I just, I know it's probably not very good for my brain, but it switches it off and I just like to sit there and scroll through it. So I've actually set a time limit for it because... Um, I think it's something that I shouldn't take away, but I know that I need to sort of balance it. And has that come just from you, Annabelle, from yourself? Yeah. Um, my, yeah, I've, I've just kind of set it for myself because I noticed that I was spending quite a lot of time on it. And on the weekends, I don't really mind that. But then I noticed it was at school. I would just, it wasn't even that I would sit on it for hours. I would just be sat on my bed and I'd have like five minutes to I need to go to my lesson. I'd be like, oh, I'll just go on TikTok. And not that that was a bad thing, but I had a book right next to me, which I need mm-hmm. to read for my uni reference. And I was just like, this is this is not what I should be doing. So it's an hour, which is still quite a lot of time. And some days I don't reach it and some days I do. But 
it's now made me look forward to it so much that I have half an hour in my evening where I just say, you can go on TikTok, you can just scroll through. And that for me is so much, much better use of it, the app for, for me than constantly just going on it in little snippets because then you're just getting the dopamine hit and then you're just turning it off. Whereas I think when I'm scrolling through it, I'm more kind of like engaging with it, if that mm. makes sense. And I like your idea, like with the FOMO, because although switching off all TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram does sound good, I, I kind of find that you actually probably get more FOMO than if you don't have them because they now exist. That even yeah. if you have Instagram, yes, you're seeing what people are doing, but if you don't have it, you might be thinking that they're doing far more things. Yeah. So I get it. So I don't think totally switching off can be the best solution. Yeah. But it's interesting that you have put in, in place your own sort of boundaries around that, which I think, you know, shows that we, we recognise the, the, the good and the bad. Um, uh, about it and I think that probably probably makes a lot of sense doesn't it and uh, you know again probably going back round to the the same sort of question we had before in terms of you know I I can see as a parent concern and worry there might be particularly if the only time you see your 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 um, son or daughter might be on the weekend and that might be the time that they're sort of wanting to engage with, with social media and, and, you know, that danger that a, a parent might extrapolate your behaviour on the weekend to what you're doing every day. And they might get, get concerned and worried and anxious themselves about that. And they might start saying, you know, thinking, you know, what do I do about this? And then that can cause arguments, can't it? And things like that way, you know. So, again, any advice there for if, if, a, if a parent was worried about the amount of time um, that their, their, their daughter or son was spending on social media how to in- best engage I think avoid setting the time I think they won't they do, they're just not successful if a parent just comes in grabs a phone and says right you're spending too much time on social media I'm setting a time limit I think just having a conversation saying okay I've noticed you spend a lot of time on your phone on the weekend why is this the answer might be oh I just never go on it at school because I'm always talking to my friends personally I don't think there's anything to be worried about there that if I heard my child say that I think I'd be happy if you then think it's actually going on at school I think that might that might be a different situation but I think it's important to remember that whilst we hear so much about social media being damaging and all the dangerous mm-hmm. things that are out there and it is a dangerous and damaging place and it can be but a lot of it is positive. A lot of TikToks are just cute puppies or just mindless, like irrelevant things, but that are just quite nice to be able to switch off your brain and just watch or Netflix shows or things like that. And I think just recognising, oh, you know, they're not talking to some strangers when they're on their phone. Well, maybe they are, but hopefully they're not. Um, When they're on their phone for an hour, maybe they're just chilling. And again, opening that line of communication, just saying, what are you doing? Like, I'm not trying to invade your privacy. I'm just, I'm just interested. And I just want to make sure that you're being safe. And 90% of the time, I reckon people will come back and saying, oh, I'm FaceTiming my friends or I'm watching this new Netflix show or all of this. And then maybe saying, reaching a healthy agreement, I think is also really important. If you say, oh, you have to read five pages of your book for every hour you spend on TikTok or whatever it is. Maybe that's not quite the right ratio. (laughs) But but just finding a thing that is, it balances, making sure it's in the balance with other aspects of life. 
And I think mm. a prominent aspect that we've mentioned today is communication. And mm. like, I think I would, I would admit parents is very hard because sometimes when I come home on the weekend, I find my mum and dad are like interrogating me <laughs> and somehow want to know my entire life story over the past <laughs> week. And then I, that puts me in a bad mood. So my response is not, not the nicest things <laughs> in the world. So I think when it does, it's totally not your fault, but when it does come to communication, just try and do it in a way that's not sort of too often too naggy and just trying to sit down and just have some like calm conversations with them. And then once that's done, just leave it for a little bit. Don't then keep bringing it back up. Yeah. And gee, well, actually, firstly, reassurance to parents. I've been super impressed when I walk around Wellington about how little students are on their phones. Yeah. Um, quite amazed by it, actually, compared to other schools where, where you can walk around and students are kind of just glued to their phones. Um, so if you're on it a lot of weekends, that... That might be justified because you haven't been on it much in the week. But I also wonder, because it sounds like the two of you have, have, certainly you, Annabelle, have come up with some boundaries around it. Do you think that depends on what age you are? And has that been easier now you're in sixth form than it was when you, when yeah, you, when you were, say, 13, 14? If you try and told fourth form me to read a book instead of go on TikTok, there was no chance. And also I think COVID has been really interesting in this because... Obviously, I was spending hours a day on TikTok in COVID because what else was I going to do? It was my only way of connecting with the, uh, the outside world. And um, I can see it in my younger sister. When she first got social media, it was in COVID. So she's used to spending a lot of time on it. And for her, she's now, there's been lots of arguments, but she's now managed to self-regulate that a lot better just because I feel like especially when you join Wellington and most people start to get social media it's a, it's a new thing obviously when you get something new you're more obsessed with it than you are going to be in a year or two's time and I think again it's very individual based and you can see it like some people it their social media is sort of gaming and they can get really um, heavily addicted to that and I think yeah there's not really sort of one one size fits all in terms of setting personal boundaries it is just kind of an own personal thing and some people I'd say I'd say in sixth form most people are pretty good about social media and don't go on their phones that much at school just because we've got a lot to do and priorities do kind of shift whereas I reckon in the younger years again the FOMO thing's a lot bigger and the just kind of excitement is of it I think is still a lot more there than it is in sixth form yeah and I think as we've said sort of personal regulation as well but what's also great and I see quite often around Wellington is people police each other in a sense so in the picture we have the like lobby area where into the year group relationships we all sort of chat between ourselves and there are some people that like go on their phones there quite frequently and they'll be either like the prefects or people in their own year will go come on mate just put your phone away and enjoy the conversation. So there is a great element of people recognising when others are using their phones too much and doing it in a like, polite, nice way and just telling them, why don't you just get involved in this conversation? So and that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and I think as adults, we could probably recognise a lot of this ourselves as yeah. well, um, yeah. can't we? And I, I think uh, I sometimes get get too too glued to a screen and you think um yeah i should probably spend a little bit of time actually talking to human beings um which yeah there we go okay um well we've been talking for quite a while now um is there anything else any other big areas or have we sort of covered it with the sort of academic side of things and those those pressures on you and then sort of talking about relationships and interactions and and, and obviously um looking at the digital uh, social media world as well. Anything else that you feel is sort of any burning issues? 
Mm, not particularly. Yeah, not really. I think just final thing on, on we could potentially just touch on friendship for just a tiny bit longer yeah. and how sort of some of the issues of friendships that can arise. And I get that it's very different between boys and girls potentially and sort of how that is the case at Wellington, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. About that, so, yeah, yeah I, I think relate, I've sort of witnessed that relationships, especially in, I don't just want to circulate the younger years, but I think what I've noticed is, and it still does happen, is this idea of people basically just trying to put others down to elevate their own mm. selves. I think that's so common at Wellington. And it's, it's not like really harmful, like abusive stuff, but it's just those small remarks or banter, as we teenagers call it, which can, which just people who maybe, because when, when people join Wellington, everyone this is a new place. Everyone's trying to find their, their place on the social ladder. And I think it's very, yeah, as, as I said, it's very frequent that some people can act, say harmful things to others, just trying to make themselves look cooler, potentially. I think that's a big issue with relationships, especially in the younger years. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's so easy for us to look back at the, to look at the younger years now and think, oh my gosh, like that's so, like humbly they said that, all of this, but we, we were there. And it, as, as bad as it does sound, I think a lot of it is part of the experience of growing up and a lot of it is part of the experience of being a teenager. Obviously, no one should be mean and obviously no one should say hurtful things, but unfortunately, that's often not the case. Not necessarily at Wellington. I think Wellington's got a lot better with kind of all the bystander apathy, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, as Seb said, I think especially when joining Wellington, it's it's hard you're you've come from most likely a small prep school where you might have been one of the big dogs if you want to call it that um to then coming into a year group of 200 people where everyone's so different but everyone everyone obviously wants to have friends and everyone wants to do the fun things on the weekends and all of that and I think something which I think again it comes with maturity and it comes with going going through the year groups in the school is just realizing you know what I actually don't need to be friends with them they're not just they're just not really the type of person that I want to be friends with. And I think being able to realise that, even though they might be, oh, they might be the popular one, if they're not someone that you get along with or if they're not someone whose morals you agree with, then just leave it. And I think that's something that comes a lot with maturing. And, yeah, as you go, especially I think now we're in sixth form, people people just chill out a bit more. And it's it's nice to just be able to have casual conversations with people without thinking, oh, what are they thinking about me? And, oh, do they like me? Do they not like me? Which is such a massive thing in third form, I think. I think this is something we can definitely relate to because I think that's a, um, probably a fairly universal human behaviour and, and particularly as you're growing up and you're trying to s- develop that sense of self, who you are, um, what you stand for, what your values are, who you want to be friends with, moving from that that place where your family is your central hub to sort of going out into the wider world. And it's that insecurity which I think makes makes that sort of behaviour that you've just described there um, so common in teenage years, isn't it? And, and yeah, I mean, I look back on... Um, my uh, my teenage years and 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 recognise a huge amount of that in the the interactions that that happened back then. Um, we've we've been doing a bit of work this year in school, going to assemblies, um, talking about something called relational aggression that we've been sort of 
trying to to give a, a language and you know a, a, a way of sort of understanding it not you know not with any sort of um uh, not not in a in, in a sort of disciplinary way but just to try and say this is what it is this is what the behavior is mr wayman comes up with a lovely uh, sort of an analogy of um standing on the on, on a platform and trying to get on the social train and there are enough seats for everyone but when you're when you're sort of bustling on the platform there it doesn't appear as if there's enough room so that's when people get sort of slightly sharp elbowed and um and try and push someone else out of the way to make sure that they're at the front of the queue i think that's quite a nice analogy for what's going on there actually it's just a nervousness and a, an anxiety if you like uh, an insecurity of where someone fits that that causes them to behave in a way that really they wouldn't actually if they sort of take, took a step back and and looked to the bigger picture um that's not to make excuses for that behavior um because sometimes it can be really hurtful um but i think if you understand it and you have a language to talk about it it helps people self police um and it helps you know that sort of what you you just described that set the the you know when when people um intervene about phones but they can also intervene about those sorts of things and self police and say hang on a second that's that's not on you can't really say that um and and that's that's incredibly helpful when that happens and do you think that happens much do people pick people up if they see this stuff happening i think yes i think improved both since we've joined probably um i think with all the work with sex and consent workshops and just all the general work in terms of um edi um i see it a lot more with people just not and not big deal just saying don't say that not on or oh you can't say that and if they're like oh what why like having an actual conversation not just being like you can't say it just don't say it and also i think in terms of sort of microaggressions and within friendships or within sort of social situations i again just think that's something that comes with maturity and becomes with as you age through the school i think in third form you're just a bit scared to say oh wait that was kind of mean like why are you saying that because you're scared that oh then that person won't like me and i'm just gonna embarrass them whereas now i think a lot like i'd call out a lot of my friends and i'd hope that they'd all call me out if if someone said something that was unkind or just unnecessary we all kind of we all yeah we all kind of self-police each other um just because everyone does slip up and everyone does have their moments where they're not feeling it and they say something that they shouldn't and just being in an environment where you know that you're not going to suddenly become like oh my gosh why did you say that like that's horrible I can't believe you said that you're just gonna say you know what not on don't say it that I think that's sort of approach to it is when it's most successful but I do think it's again important to recognize how sort of how hard that is to do in in relationships especially down the young years but even in sixth form when someone says something that I think it's easy it's a lot easier to do when the action that someone's done is like clearly harmful Whereas it's those little small things that are very repetitive. That's the bits that are very hard to police because I could be having a conversation with someone else. Someone could say something to them. It might not be that bad, but then that same person could say something to them like 10 times a day with different people and it's very hard to pick that up. So yeah, I do think policing has got a lot better for the sort of statements that can be really harmful either to someone else or harmful to a different race or whatever. That policing is good. However, yeah, I think improvements can still be made for the smaller things and just being able to pick that up because it is so hard to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, I think we're probably at the end there. Thank you so much for your thoughts 
um, today. And um, if you've made it through to listen to the end of this conversation, thank you for listening. And um, yeah, I, I'm going to say goodbye at this point. <laughs>